Well, good morning, Olive Branch. It's great to see you guys this morning. And I want to just take a minute and just uh, talk real quick about something. But just, I don't know about you, but I just, I, wasn't it just a gorgeous just picture in the room with all the lighting and everything this morning? I hope that just brought your heart to, uh, to aid you in worship. I'm one of those guys that honestly, when I read the Bible and I look back through the Old Testament, I look at things, God loves beauty. Have you ever just stood down at the property, stared up at the mountains? You've gone out in the middle of the Grand Canyon. Look, how many guys have ever just adored God's beauty and just wondered at it? That, and that is something that's awesome about worship for us here at Olive Branch. Our goal really is not to just light things well, but to allow everything to be as beautiful as possible. So some of you guys are like, whoa, light system, different, you know, that kind of a thing. And I just want to talk into that for a second. Kind of what are we doing? Why are we doing this? Again, we want to change everyday people into a community of passionate Christ followers. Our goal is to help everyday people come to know Jesus Christ and to know what he's called them to do and do it. Some of that is that some people on our team have our artistic passions and love beauty. And so our goal is to allow all that we do on our service, all that we're touching to be an expression of one thing. And that is what we're talking about in the word of God. And so our services are bent around the Bible. We want to make sure what I say is what we sing and what you're seeing is an expression of those things as well. And so we've added this light system in order for a couple of reasons. Number one is to allow the artistic vision to continue forward in what we, we believe is worship. Everything is is worship as long as you do it for God's glory and it's not sin. Right? Amen? We know that as our definition. You guys look stunned. Why is he talking about this? The second thing is because our old light system was not strong enough or powerful enough to actually light the stage appropriately for things like video podcasts, things like that, that we would like to move towards. We've been talking about it for years. So this system takes us one step closer as well. Third is that uh, this also allows us to do one thing. Why the movers? It gives us versatility. We can spotlight people if we do dramas and things outside of Sunday mornings. It enables us not to have to get up and trusting and move things around all the time. And finally, it also enables us to do one important thing. Remove the stage as the location of worship. This is not where worship happens, right? You guys clear with me on this? You know where worship happens, right? It's in our hearts and expressed in the whole room. And so this whole room is the stage. God is the audience. You're part of the band. And one of the ways we wanted to say that was to ensure that the whole room is filled with light in in the way that the stage is filled with light. And so some of that is why that's there. Now, we are not intentionally shining lights in your eyes. That's not our goal. So if you have your complaint card ready, please throw it away. It's going to take us a little while to get this down. And we're just asking for an abundance of grace. We're learning the system. Never had it before our poor light guy walked in and went Aah! you know freaked out by a brand new machine and everything else and so really our intention is to is to just bring more of our heart of worship and all the aspects of life into the service and so we're glad that you're with us we hope that you'll keep going with us and i hope that it helps you guys praise god as we continue to learn how to appropriately do this now all that said is because we're doing a basic series and so i'm going to challenge you guys right now grab your card you're going to grab my card i didn't bring my card you need to bring your card i probably neglected to tell you that last week but there is a card that is been, was in the bulletin last week or the hand, uh, the program last week, and if you will, if you don't have one, you need to get it. It's out in the out in the foyer. You go to the info counter; they'll have a whole stack there. Grab one. If you lost yours last week, shame on you. I found stuff in here, and you guys left them for us to throw away. Don't do that. Use them. There, you will note there is no check mark for going to church. That's not the goal here. The goal is that we activate ourselves in the things that we're learning about. And so, if you guys, real quick, if you have your card and you went for the set 
seven for seven this week. You got into prayer seven times using the prayer. Put your hand up. Put your card up and hold it up for me. Good. If you don't have your card, that's, that's okay. Bring it next week. So those of you guys who are doing it, praise God. I'm with you. If you, if you got six for seven, throw your hand up real quick. You're, you're good. You got at least most of it. Uh, if you're just doing it with us and you're just not quite up, but you're still doing it, throw your hand up real quick. This is the chance for all of you who weren't involved to say, yes, I'm still doing it. So really want to challenge you guys to be invested and part of what we're doing in this series. This is not about head knowledge. This is about action. This is not about walking into the gymnasium and walking, watching other people work out. This is about us getting the spiritual training for our soul and living it out right now. And so we're going to move into another segment of that spiritual training, another basic, that if we have these basics down, we understand and have these as part of our life, part of the details and the habits and the living of our life. When God shows us our passion, when he gets us to that point, when we have our children in front of us and we're trying to guide them, when we're sitting in an economic situation and we don't know what to do, we hopefully will have these basics so down. They won't phase us. We'll know what to say. We'll know where to go. We're ready. And that's really what we're aiming at in this series, just to remind ourselves that these basics are to prepare us for life, especially when it comes to this. Um, I was reading in, a, in an article uh, in Biola Magazine, and uh, what's interesting about it is he, he kind of began talking about this, late, this, this young woman named Stacy Irvin. For 15 years, her, her diet was primarily chicken nuggets. Can you imagine that? to eating chicken nuggets for breakfast, for lunch, and for dinner. And it was, it was, that's pretty much all, for some reason it got in her head, that's what she liked, and that's all she ate predominantly. She had other things like ketchup and mustard probably with it. But the, the whole point was simply that by the time, 15 years of this, her body was a mess. Wrecked, she went to the doctor. They're like, obviously, you need to eat fruits and vegetables and never touch chicken nuggets again. You know, this kind of a reality. And it just revealed kind of an extreme version of what's going on in the church. We have a diet problem as a church. It's been shown by Barna that 60%, upwards of 60% of Christians can't even name all the Ten Commandments. You're going, that's me. Yes, okay, some of us have a big problem. We couldn't tell you the difference when Abraham lived versus when Moses was versus when Elijah lived versus when Jesus shows up because we don't know the Bible timeline. It's called biblical illiteracy, and it is a scourge across the churches. Though we've gotten so into making entertainment and fun in our teaching, we've forgotten that sometimes we just got to learn the hard stuff. And it's not easy to get things in our heads. It's not easy to memorize. Some of us hated school so much, when the church starts saying the words learn or memorize, we shut down and we go, I'm not listening, as you did just now. And so I'm hoping that you'll re-engage with me for a second and realize the importance of this. Because if we don't know the timelines of our Bible, if we don't know the difference between Isaiah's message and Ezekiel's message, let alone if you know who Isaiah or Ezekiel is, I get some of you guys may have never touched a Bible, you may not be a Christian in here this morning, and so you're just kind of going, I don't know this stuff. But I hopefully what I can encourage you to is to know these things and encourage you and show you why it's important. Because what the danger is of a biblically illiterate church is not what you think. It's not, oh, no, I'm not going to be able to answer my Bible quiz. I'm not going to be able to get on the comedy channel or the game show channel and win. You know, that's not the, the point. The point is that we honestly are missing out on the greatest blessings of a life well lived. Where do I get that from? I get it from the Bible. 
In fact, I want you guys to see it for yourselves. If you will, grab a Bible, and this is like the one time in your life where I say, if you don't have one, grab it and pull it out that you probably don't want to ignore me. So you're kind of, because we're going to be talking about reading the Bible. So if you don't have a Bible, go ahead and pull it out. They're under your seats. You can open up to page 448 and be with us in Psalm chapter 1. And we're going to look at the first Psalm, actually. And this Psalm, these are books, um, not necessarily books. These are like lyrics. How many of you guys have ever lost your CD, but you kept the CD jacket or the tape jacket? back in the day, or maybe even the records, and, and it had the lyrics in there. And you're looking at it, and you're like, oh, I love this song. But you didn't know that's what the lyrics said. You can hear the term, the song in your head, but the first time you're going, that's what it said? Oh, weird. I shouldn't listen to that. You know, that kind of a thing. And what's going on is in this is this is a, is a CD jacket. This has the lyrics. We lost the music a long, long time ago. People used to sing these songs in ancient Israel. These were, this, was their, um, this was their top 40 list. It was the top 150 list. And this is the stuff people would sing and enjoy. And so what was he saying? The top psalm, the number one that gets going is this. Blessed is the man who, does not, who, wa- blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor the sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. And so he begins this whole psalm. This entire psalm is devoted to one concept. It it divides people into the blessed life and the life of the wicked. That you have the blessed man and the wicked man. And these two are contrasted. The wicked man's life is filled with listening to scoffers, mock, and, and sitting around with people who come up with bad ideas. Ultimately, their life accounts to chaff. Chaff is a piece of wheat that when you would take and you would take wheat in the ancient days, you throw it in the air to kind of separate the wheat from the chaff. Now, chaff was this little piece on it that you couldn't eat. It would be just blown off by a good, a decent wind. It's so light, just wind whew, blows it away. And the light weight of life is lived by the wicked. They don't have any substance. When crisis comes, they don't know where to turn. When heartache hits, they're depressed and they're broken. And though they may put on an appearance of joy and happiness, ultimately in the life of the wicked, you're crushed. But not the blessed life. The blessed life is like a tree next to a stream of water. You can imagine that picture filled with fruit in its season. It doesn't matter if the season is hot and the weather is destructive. It's got water prepared. It doesn't matter if it's freezing cold. It's prepared because it's got its nourishment. This tree is ready for anything. The life of the blessed man, as it says is one that is always prospering. Now, that doesn't, you, you kind of go like, wow, that's a pretty big sell, Greg. Well, what makes that happen? What makes this occur? Notice that right here, verse 2. But his delight, the blessed man's delight is in what? The law of the Lord. When this was written, all there was was the law of the Lord. You don't have you, you don't have first you don't have Samuel having pinned first second Samuel yet. You don't have first second Kings. You just had the law. That's all you had at the beginning. And so what he is saying is, hey, blessed is the man who meditates on the word of God. Blessed is the man who meditates on the Bible. And so what we're going to talk about this morning is the basic fact that the man who studies and the woman who studies and knows the word of God will have a blessed life. 
Now, what does that look like? That's not always like, everything's perfect and I have all this money. And that's not what I'm talking about. Not the American concept of blessed, but the biblical concept of blessed, which you'll learn as you read your Bible. We don't know what that is because we don't read the Bible. And so we want to make sure we get this balance. And so well, I want to start this morning just challenge us that this is our basic beginning. And in the basics, while we know what prayer is, and we looked at prayer last week, and we looked at the way Jesus taught us to pray, let's just take a basic, a beeline, a bottom line about studying the Word of God. And it starts with this. We need to read it regularly. You need to read the Word regularly. And all the non-readers in the room went, oh, Somebody else telling me to read something. We're in the information age. I get it. There's tons of information pounding us and causing us to, to do stuff. But I want to point out that, that what this is saying is that the people who think on the word of God, they live this blessed life. They meditate on it. They think about it. We all think about things. Our minds are constantly pondering things. I very much doubt. And, and, and ladies, uh, don't, don't, you know, I'm not trying to ruin it for guys. I guess I'm breaking the guy code here. But when guys, when, when you say, hey, what you thinking about? And men go, nothing. It's probably because we're just not aware of our thoughts. We're thinking about something. We're, we're pondering something. When you're watching TV, your brain isn't off. You're actually thinking. You're accepting or rejecting whatever you're seeing. You're interacting in some way. It's are we doing it passively or are we doing it in an engaged way? The mind is an incredible thing. It's an incredibly active thing. And so what I want to challenge us with is that the Bible says to meditate on the word of God, to use your mind and to think about these things as a powerful change agent. It's something that shapes the very life. Notice what he says. He's like a tree planted by streams of water. That yields its fruit in season. So first of all, it's constantly nourished. Do you ever feel like you don't know what to do? You're confused. Where do I go with this? How do I deal with my child? How do I, how do I deal with this thing at work? How, what am I supposed to do when, I, when I'm meeting this neighbor who's yelling at me or whatever? When I got this HOA that won't get off my back, right? That kind of a thing. What do I do? You go to the word of God. It's a constant nourishment. It's like a stream of water that's fully flowing for a tree. And guys, it's important to note that many of us are not planting ourselves near the stream of water. We're planting ourselves on a couch. We're planting ourselves in a chair in front of an internet. We're planting ourselves in front of our phones. And I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just asking, how often are you getting near the water to drink? Because it's the, that's the place that ultimately the true information for living life well comes from. And that's the place that we, we've always found. And this isn't something I'm just saying like, guys, this is a really neat new thing. No, this is generations old. This has been proven for thousands of years. That the people who live life best are those who are in the word the most. And what we see here is he says it's planted by streams of water. It's constantly nourished. It's fruit. It's in its season. It means it's always prepped and ready to actually produce when it's called to produce. So many of us don't produce anything. We miscarry opportunities with our friends in evangelism. We miscarry opportunities when it's time to serve. We miscarry in our prayers because we don't pray after God, what God wants. We pray selfishly. And that's all governed when you want to bear fruit by being in the word of God. All I'm trying to do right now is just show you how much this word changes us and shapes us and calls us and guides us. And so, and all he does, it says he prospers. And so, why is it that none of us will really take a long, long time in the word of God then? Why is it that we avoid it? There's so many distractions we've mentioned. And I leave that question for your heart because that's not something I can answer. It's very different for each one of us. 
Sometimes it's just ignorance because you're young in the faith. You haven't started putting these practices there. Some of us, it's lack of practice. It's you're old in your faith and you just never got it going. But there is reasons that we each have for keeping ourselves from really being in the word of God. You say, Greg, is this really going to help me? I mean, seriously? Uh, my wife and I have been going through some interesting crises lately and just kind of, they, they're out of the blue. They're not in our control. We uh, bought a brand new fridge and the other day we woke up and our freezer was going from negative three and rose all the way up to 22 degrees. And we're going, we had just gone to the grocery store. And we're sitting there going, this thing's less than 30 days old. What is going on around here? And this was like on top of several other things that has been going on. And it was weird because I sat there and my sermon came back to me. That's a rare thing when my own sermons come back to me and smack me in the face, right? And I just went, wait a minute, nothing nothing that's going on is going to be wasted. None of the crisis that's going on is going to be wasted. God's using all this to shape you, all this to make you like your hero, Jesus. And for some reason, that helped me push back from this new crisis. And I said the weirdest thing, I said, babe, I think God's wanting to bless us. And, And it was just like, huh? Your fridge broke on top of everything else, and God wants to bless you in this? That doesn't make any sense. But it was in the sense that God captured my heart with his word because I'd been thinking about it. And I feel like that was the one thing that I didn't freak out about because God's word anchored my soul. You gotta have times like that where the word of God comes fresh into your life and anchors your soul. That's what this is saying. And it comes from meditation. I'm not talking about making your mind absent. I'm talking about the focused thinking of your life. And so when we get into this, we're thinking on the word of God. You're meditating, you're ruminating. The word actually meant to chew the cud, which is interesting. This term meditate, it was an angle that uh, when they would look at a cow, you know cows have multiple stomachs? If you didn't, you do now. And, and what, what would happen is a cow would chew on the grass and swallow it. And then it would take from another stomach and go and regurgitate it back into its mouth. Lovely. And it would chew it again. Swallow it into the next one and out back and forth. And this was known by the ancient people. And they said, that is the picture of meditation. To take something into your mind, to question it, to ponder it, to swallow it in your life, only to bring it back out, to ponder it and think about it again, to swallow it back in your life, to bring it back out and think about it again. And what you're doing is you're driving it from your mind to your heart, from your heart to your life. Why do you think your life is blessed? Because you're living it according to the word of God. That ultimate blessing can occur only in heaven because we live in a fallen world. But you'll see people who walk by the word of God, who live by the word of God, oftentimes will be more stable in crisis, will have more of an ability to make good decisions when it comes time, and will be far more moral because the word of God is God's word. That's powerful. And so we want to ponder it. We want to meditate on it. We want to meditate day and night. Why? Look at Romans 12 too. This is what I'm saying. That as we meditate, we, become, we are not conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewal of your mind. And then Paul goes on to say that by test, this method, by testing me, discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You're not just accepting everything that comes from the world. In our information age, you can get on the internet, you can find anything you want. You can find any angle. You can join the Flat Earth Society, for goodness sakes. You can assume that the lunar landings was all a conspiracy. And you can find entire websites dedicated to proving that to you. You want to believe in AI and there's there's machines out there that can take over humanity? Hey, that was just an article the other day. 
We can find whatever we want, but what information are we plugging in? Are we allowing the world to conform us to its thinking, its morality, its way of living, so that we're compromising the basic, the basic truths of our faith so that we can fit in? So many young Christians are doing that right now, as is so many churches. What moors you by being transformed by the renewal of your mind through the word of God? It shows you what God's will is. It leads you in his way. And God's will is right and good. It always is. It doesn't take you down a path that's going to get you morally in trouble. It may take you down a path that'll get you physically in trouble. It may take you down a path that'll get you, get you in trouble with the world. But it will not take you down a path that'll get you in trouble with God. And so we want to know what is good and acceptable and perfect. And we want to bring this in by transforming us. This is what meditation does. And so let's break down meditation real simple. You should just read it like, you're, like God is speaking to you. Read the Bible like God is speaking to you. Well, what do I mean by that? Well, we've talked about prayer. Prayer is us talking to God. Prayer is us responding to God. If God ever responds back to me when I'm praying, if I hear what people think of as the voice of the Lord, oftentimes all I'm receiving back is the scriptures. I'm predominantly, when God comes to me and he says something, it's, it's something like what I told you when I'm looking at this fridge falling, breaking on me, and he brings back his scripture to my mind. See, the scripture is God speaking to us. And we need to read it like that. That God is sitting there saying, listen to me for a minute, my church. Listen to me a minute, you humans. The blessed man is one who does not walk in the counsel of wicked people, who does not stand in the way of sinners, who does not sit in the seat of the scoffer. But the blessed man delights in my word, he's saying. Imagine if you read it like God was saying that to you. So many of us say, if God showed up and told me to do something, I'd do it. He shows up and tells us to do stuff all the time. Every time you open the book. And we don't do it. But when we switch and we realize God's speaking to us, it gives a different authority to the word of God. It gives a different sense. And the whole of it is from God. Notice 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. It says, all scripture, all of it, Old and New Testament, is breathed out by God. This is literally God's Breath, speaking voice, bam, put into words. Now, we can get into the theology of how that works and all that stuff. We can talk about it somewhere else. But I am, I am convinced, as I believe Jesus was convinced, that this is God's word. That God said it and bam, that's truth. Because he doesn't lie. And so it's profitable to our lives to teach us about what? Whatever you ask it. It's profitable to reprove us, to correct us. And to train us in what is right, what is the right form of living. No wonder your life would prosper. No wonder you would be at peace with God. No wonder you would stand in the, with the righteous because the word of God would train you and shape you and get you ready, equipped for every good work. Every good work there is. I don't know about you, but I can imagine a bunch of evil things to do pretty darn quick. I did this with my discipleship group. I got two guys I'm discipling right now. We're sitting there on the first week. I said, we came out to the scripture and I said, okay, right now, I want you guys to list. We've got, I'll give you guys um, one minute. I want you together, all three of us, we're going to come up with as many good things we can do right now, good works right now. And we're like, pick up trash and, you know, pray for somebody and read the Bible and encourage each other. And we came up with about five. I said, okay, in the next minute, all three of us, we're going to come up with every evil thing we can possibly think of to do. We came up with like 40 in a minute. We're like, 
take, pick up this table and beat each other over the head. You know, go over here and like lie to this person, try to get their money. We're like, it was so fast to think of how many evil things you could do. No wonder it needs to equip us for good works. Our minds are not bent in the direction of the good. Our minds need to be trained in the direction of the good. Our minds need to be shaped in the direction of the good. Some of you guys are going, I don't want to go to this church. This guy's really evil. And so, it's okay. So are you. No wonder we need the word of God. And why it's so dangerous to have a biblical famine in the land. Because if there's nothing correcting and training our hearts for the good, even our good can be bad. We need to be careful. What's governing our definition of good? What's training us in righteousness to live right? And so we need to read it like God is speaking to us. We need to obey it. So here's a basic step. And when you're reading it, just read one chapter a day. If you need to start somewhere, this is what we're going to do. We're going to read one chapter a day. Just one. You do that in about roughly three years, a little over three years, if you read maybe a chapter and a half at times, you're going to have read through the whole Bible. Can you imagine being a church where everybody is every three years or so has read the entire Bible all the way through? I mean, what, an, what not an accomplishment, but what a mind change. What an adjustment. What a growth. One chapter a day just reading it, reading it, reading it. You pray Jesus' prayers and you read one chapter a day. Here's what begins to happen, though. If some of us go right now, you go like, I don't like reading. One chapter. You ever seen Psalm 119? That thing's huge. That's a chapter. And we think of the worst case scenario. Well, then read Jude. It's one chapter, and it's, you've read a whole book in the Bible, right? So the point is that some of us aren't readers. Well, I've got a solution for you. Not only should you have a physical Bible, but you can have an audio Bible. The church grew up in its infancy only hearing people read the Word of God. And right now, on these wonderful devices called iPads, iPhones, Androids, whatever you've got, because a lot of you have these things, just download Bible Gateway. Just download the Bible Gateway app. And it has audio versions for the ESV, the NIV. It has dramatized versions. So if you want to hear someone say very loudly, God help me, you know, if you want that kind of thing, you got it with music in the background and everything. You can audio listen to your Bible and you can have your book open and you can be listening to it. Guess what? It only takes roughly on average about five minutes for a chapter when it's being read in a dramatized version in an audio style. And they do it in English accents. So you're like, this is serious. You know, it's like the voice of God because God's English and his accent, right? You know, it's like, that's for Americans. We're just like, oh, English accent. That's the point. You can listen to it. You can get into it. It can shape your mind. You plug it into your car. You listen to it as you go. And it shapes your mind. It becomes part of the warp and whoop. It then brings out prayer. And it changes the way you see perspectives of dangers and joys. It's powerful. So maybe you just need to listen to a chapter a day. I tried this this week just to listen to a chapter a day. I'm almost done with Genesis. And it's only been like a few days that I've been doing it. Because you just start listening. You're like, that's good. That's good stuff. I like how he said that. I don't like how he said that. You know, it's like, but it's powerful to just be listening to the word of God and getting it into your life. So read it regularly or listen to it regularly. One chapter a day, just, just beginning to put that in. And then what do you do there? Well, the point here isn't just to read it. You need to know what it means so you know what to do. You need to know what it means so you can know what to do. If you don't know what it means, you don't know what to do. I think that's like a junior high moment for everybody together. Duh, 
right? Come on, let's all say it together. Duh. Doesn't it feel good to say that again? Bring it back to the past. The point is that we, are, we need to know what it means so we can know what to do. And so what I want to start with is this. It's not rocket science to know what the Bible is saying. Read it for the plain meaning first. You know, when you're reading through Paul's epistles and he tells you, don't let any unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, you don't have to sit back and go, what does unwholesome mean? But instead, words of encouragement to build up, it's very simple. It means don't break people down with your words. Don't use words that destroy, but use words that build up. Now that means don't lie. Now you can start applying and you go, well, I'm supposed to tell the truth. That's going to hurt somebody. That's why he says speak truth and love. The word of God is very plain. It's not super difficult in the majority of areas. It's actually telling you very clearly, you want to live well, do these things. And so let's not get all broken into all the esoteric and, 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 and the misunderstanding of, of words and terms. That's my job to help, help us think a little deeper about things. But the plain meaning is the plain meaning. It doesn't change. Now, when you see what it says, you just... You should know what it means. Now, there are times, though, that you're going to dive in. You're going to go like, all right, I want to read one, book, one chapter every day. I'm going to start where? In the book of Revelation. Because that's where everybody loves to start for some reason. Don't do that. Start with Jesus. Start in a good, a good strong letter of the Bible. But don't start in Revelation. Because if you want to talk about a place where you need to handle the word rightly, you're in Revelation. You need to really understand a lot more of your Bible before you touch that book. You should probably know a lot more about your Old Testament. You should probably have gone through it a couple times. I'm not saying don't read Revelation. I'm just saying if you're going to understand it, it's going to take a lot of study in other places because it's got the maximum amount of allusions to the rest of the Bible. It's just pointing back to the rest of the Bible all the time. And so what I want us to do is understand we need to handle the Bible rightly to know what it means in certain cases. This was instruction that Paul gave to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. A worker has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth, rightly using it. Now, we can read our own ideas into the Bible. That's really dangerous. We can get into the place where we're misusing the Bible. There's that old, the old joke in our, in our theology classes back when we do Bible study classes. Some people, they like to use the Bible like a Ouija board. They're like, mm, mm. and Judas went and hung himself. Ah! Go and do likewise. Ah! What you do, do it quickly. And you'd be like, throw it. Those are all verses, by the way. And you can seriously convince yourself to do something wrong. One woman was struggling whether she should stay with her husband or not. And she opened the Bible, did that, pointed at it. This is a true story from our school. And read the term, from the, our professor's church, read the term, put off the old man. And so she divorced her husband, obviously explicitly ignoring the rest of the scriptures. Because she didn't handle it rightly. How do we handle it rightly? There are times where we can mishandle the word of truth. And we don't want to do that. When we're reading through the scripture, the plain meaning is the plain meaning. But at times when we're confused, guess what you're going to use? It's called a pencil. It's a fabulous device. And you write down your question of confusion. What am I confused about? And then write down the question. I don't know what that name means. I have no clue what that city is. I am totally confused about this entire book. You know, whatever that question is that you have, write it down. Because what you're going to do is you're going to then be able to say, I have the question here. This is all plain. This makes sense. But what, does, what is this about? 
And it's important that we know how to handle it because we want to ask, what did it mean? Not what does it mean? Too many of us are running around opening the Bible, reading, going, well, what does it mean? No, what did it mean? And when you ask that question, it changes things. Because you start asking, well, what did it mean to the people that it was written to? And once you can answer that question, it actually starts asking other questions. But once you can answer that question, then you can ask, well, what should I do? And those kind of things that we'll get to in a second. But this real question of what did it mean helps you start asking a couple questions. Well, who wrote it? Who did they write it to? And why did they write it? When you get into those questions, you start unveiling what's called the background. And when the background comes into focus, you start reading with information. You ever just tried to pick up and turn on a radio, turn on a radio dial and you just turn on talk radio and they're in the middle of a conversation. And they never reference who's talking and what they're talking about. You're completely lost. You're sitting there going, this is really not interesting. I have no idea what the topic is. I have no idea why they're angry. I am lost. The same thing is true when you just pick up the Bible and jump right in the middle without knowing who's talking and what are they writing to and all this information. That's why I want, to impl- I want you guys to invest in a good study Bible. You need to have a good study Bible. And if you don't, if you don't have a study Bible, let me give you two that, that, I, that you can use. The first one is the ESV study Bible. It's a great study Bible. We're using the ESV at the church. And the ESV study Bible, which is, can be found on Kindle, which is a little more difficult to use there, but in a good physical format, you've got great notes. And those notes will give you all kinds of perspectives and answer questions and give you background and stuff like that. It's really important that you're able to have that, that kind of information. The second one that you can use is for free. Everybody loves a free study Bible. Free study Bible, ready? And as long as you've got an iPad or an Android or an iPhone or some kind of smart, intelligent phone, more intelligent than me phone, then you have this thing called Faith Life Study Bible. Get Faith Life Study Bible on there and open it up. It's got tons of information. It'll guide. It keeps growing. They keep adding more and more articles and information. It's got dictionary connected with it. And all you've got to do is be able to look at the verse and look at the information and you're good to go. Get a study Bible. If you, if, you, if you want, and you want more information, say you want to know more about background, these are out there. These are called the Zondervan Illustrated Bible Commentaries. And they're great because they got pictures, and we like pictures, you know. I'm, I'm still a kid. I like pictures. And, and it's, all, it's got diagrams, and all it gives you is background. It doesn't answer what is the text saying. It's just like, hey, this is, what, this is what they're referencing in the background. Otherwise, some of you are looking for very simple commentaries. Get a whole Bible commentary. You can jump into these called the Tyndale New Testament commentaries. They're very academic without using Greek. So you're going to have really good scholars, conservative scholars, who are telling you kind of what's going on in the Greek without using it. What's going on in the the, uh, Hebrew without without dropping Hebrew text on you and you're going like, my head hurts. So know that these things exist out there. Harvest sells a ton of them. Use them. They're, they're, at the, they're over at a Lifeway bookstore here in, in Riverside. You can get them online. But guys, you need to have at least some simple set of commentaries. And you need to have a good study Bible if we're going to be students of the word. And I bring this up because as we're reading, we're trying to find out what does it mean? What does it mean after we found out what did it mean? Because once we get to what does it mean, now we know the next step of what do I need to do? And so we need to put our, what we've read, we need to put it into action. 
Put what you've read and put it into action. What good is it if we're hearers of the word but not doers of the word? That's exactly what James 1.22 is saying. He says, but be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourself. Note on the top of your program right now, up in the right-hand corner of the far side, if you open it up in the middle, look at there, there's the verse. That's our goal here at church when we gather together in this place. When we're the church gathered, we are here to live out the word of God, not simply hear it. If we're just hearing it and we're feeding on it and we're not doing it, we're just getting fat spiritually and we're not being active. We need to be active with the word of God. We need to live it out. In my house, my children know one term. They, we, we have this thing that we say, and it's funny because inevitably we almost say it uh, every week or every month, and we say, you know, it's okay to make a mess, but it's not okay to leave a mess. I had my daughter say that when I was practicing in here a little while ago. And it's an awesome statement. And so I can look at my daughter and say, babe, it's okay to leave a mess. Or it's okay to make a mess, but it's not okay to leave a mess, right? And then she goes, yeah, 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 yeah. And I go, so go clean up your room. How would you feel if she came back to me? She said, five minutes later, she's like, hey, dad. I'm like, yeah, did you clean your room? She's like, you know, I thought about cleaning my room. That's an incredibly good idea. To clean my room, I've heard there are studies that state that people find their things faster, that they're actually less stressed out in a clean room, that they can actually sleep better in a clean room. You know, I'm pretty fascinated by how good a clean room is. Did you know the word clean comes from the Latin term and on and on and on? You know what I would look at her and say, I don't care. Go clean your room. And how many of us are getting caught up in thinking about what God's commanded us to do? Like go make disciples of the nations. We go, you know, that would be a really good idea. Did you know if our generation obeyed that, we would actually cover the entire earth one time over just with the gospel because we'd want to do it. Oh, that'd be really cool. And we talk about it, but we don't go do anything about it. What good is having the word of God in your mind if you're not going to live it? And so we read it as God's word and then we need to go do it. We need to walk out of here. We need to say, God said to pray. I better pray every day. You know, God said, we need to be in the word to have a blessed life. I'm going to be in the word. No matter how hard it is, no matter how I don't want to do it, and how much I feel like I don't want to do it. We're just, we're whimsical as a culture. And some of us need to get hardened a little bit and do what even we don't want to do and get into the word of God. We need to put it into action because you know what? That's what you're missing. So many of us want to be like Jesus. We want that peace. We want that love. We want that self-control. But here's what Jesus said when he was praying for his own church in John 17, verse 17. He, says, God, he said, God, God, sanctify them in the truth. Sanctify means set them apart. Make them different from the world. Make them different by your truth. Your word is truth, he says. It's by putting this into our lives and living it out that we actually start to live like Jesus. Because Jesus is the word. You want to be like your hero? Then we obey the text and we get it in our lives and we learn it. And we don't come in here just prepped to have ourselves stirred. We come in here with a pencil, with a pen, with a piece of paper, ready to engage, ready to walk out and do what God says. Not what I say, but what God says. And when you're a student of the word of God and you've read it, you're going to come up to me and go, hey, you know, you said this and I didn't see this and where'd you get that? And we're going to have a great conversation. Because you shouldn't trust just what I say. You need to be in the word of God. 
You need to be good, as they called them, Bereans. So how do we move from knowing to doing? Walk through these steps. You want to ask these certain questions. Ready? What should I believe from this text? Because the Bible's more about God than it is about us. You need to ask, what should I believe? Then you need to go from that to, well, what should this tell me about what I feel? I'm made in the image of God. I feel like I'm a miserable wreck, but I'm made in the image of God. How should I really feel? You should feel valuable. You should believe you're made in the image of God. It should make you feel a certain way. And then finally, you need to ask this last question that leads you to the final movement, which is called, what should I do? I don't think we should ever leave a text without saying, okay, God, what should I do from what I've learned? What do I believe about you? Therefore, what should I do? And when we do that, and we live that out, we put it in our plan, and we start walking in it, it changes who we are. But it begins by being in the Word of God. And so the final challenge is just this. You get this thing out of the info counter, grab it, and we're going to say, read one chapter for the next 40 days. From this point on, just one day, one chapter, boom, boom, you'll get 40 chapters. Find a book that's 40 chapters long, just read the whole thing. Or find a whole bunch of places in the New Testament. You're going to get through, a, if you start in Paul's epistles, you'll get through a whole bunch of them by the time you're done with 40 days. But get in the Word of God, one chapter, 40 days. Do the New Testament, watch what happens. If you can't read that much, grab the, get that Bible app and start listening to it. One a day, one a day. What should I believe? What should I feel? What should I do? And watch as you start to live it out what happens. Did you do that with me? Basic? Would you all agree that's basic? So I was responding to a question. Would you all agree that that's basic? Yes. We ready to do it? Yes. Awesome. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, I lift up this congregation to you and I ask that you would enable us and empower us with, the, with your word to be a people that read it and live it out. God, as we make our check marks, as we do these things, we pray that this wouldn't just be a task to do, but it would be something that begins to thrill our souls as we are obeying you and being used by you. So we lay this at your feet and we ask for your grace and your leadership in this time. In Jesus' name, and all God's children said, amen.